Hello, everyone. This is Erica, host of Amazing Grace Talk, the podcast, a show that will explore how God has pursued everyday people who have experienced a radical encounter with His unconditional love. These are the stories that remind us why God's grace is amazing. Well, welcome back to the show, everyone. My name is Erica, and today on the show, we have a friend that my husband and I used to go to church with when we were in downtown Dallas, and his name is Parker Turlack, and uh, he and his wife, um, we knew them before they even had children, so this has been a little while back, and uh, I was scrolling on Facebook and actually hadn't talked to Parker or his wife in quite a while, many years, and came across a testimony maybe a podcast that I heard him on and was really blown away by what I heard. Um, when I saw his name, I thought, well, gosh, I remember they were friends of ours and just loved he and his wife and uh, loved serving with them at church and heard this story. And to be honest, I was, uh, I have chills now just thinking about the moment that I heard the story. Um, I was, I was just in shock, and uh, only because the story that I heard was not the person that I knew at the time, and I kind of heard the end of the story, but we want to welcome him to our show, and so welcome to the show, uh, Parker. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so <laughs> glad we were able to reconnect, and uh, I'm even more grateful that you were able to, to hear the story that I didn't get to tell a lot, a lot of you guys at the time. Um, it, it very much was living that double life. And it's it's really sad to look back on, but here we are now and I get an opportunity to, to tell you that story uh, the way that I should have at the time. And I'm really excited because a lot has transpired since that incident that has provided me with more insight um, into why some of those things happened and, and what they really meant and what I can do um, in order to share things with others from what I've learned. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to be here. Yeah. Well, the, what I, let me, I'm going to tell my part of when we knew each other and when we were serving at church and what, what went on, what happened, and then you can go ahead and tell the other end of the story. So, um, we used to serve at, at Fellowship Church in downtown Dallas and had a great time. There were several couples that were probably about 10 years younger than us that we all just loved and grew close to. Um, they were, we were all like family. Um, we actually went off and opened another church, uh, helped launch that one. And so that's really when we got real close, all of us. It was one of the most special times I've ever had in a church. So um, just because of the other married couples. But um, so we we really felt like we had a a good relationship with all of you. And uh, one of the days that I, I remember just hearing Laura Lee say that you had been in an accident and, um, you know, it was a tragic accident because I believe all I heard was that you were on Northwest Highway and you got hit by a bus. I don't even know if that's correct, but, uh, you know, it, what do you think when you hear that of a friend? You're just in shock. You're like, what? What do you got hit by a bus? I mean, it, it was just crazy. But then, you know, through that time, we saw you, you know, going through from what we saw um, on the outside, going through your recovery of maybe uh, physical therapy. I don't know what other uh, treatment you had as far as any of that goes, but 
you know, we were just praying you through it and, you know, wishing for the best. And just like we were all sitting on the edge of our seats in prayer um, for you to be healed. And so when I heard this story many years later, um, probably five, at least five years later, I heard what he's about to share with you today. And uh, I thought, wow, this is so important to share with other people that that could be struggling with this same situation. And it's really, it is so needed to be shared, not only because of the pandemic, people being alone, people being, you know, in a dark room, or whether they're just, you know, alone without community. Um, I'm just real excited for you to share the story. So Parker, you take it away. Well, thank you. And uh, <laughs> it's a good setup. And, and I always do say this, or I look around before I tell this story, which is, this isn't necessarily suited for younger children. Um, this is something that um, is a, a bit harsh in nature. And, and I'm going to be honest during this conversation um, because, I, again, I think that this is a moment that I really can't help people. And, and it is difficult for me to share this because I, quite frankly, do have uh, post-traumatic stress from uh, what happened. And it is it is hard. Uh, sometimes I do get caught up in the moment when I start to talk about what's going on. But um, I, I do always like to preface that uh, this is going to get a little real uh, because I do I, w- I want to be honest. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to give you a little bit of background on myself first, just so you have some context into how this story played out and how what I would consider to be the most besides having children, the most life-changing moment of my life um, happened. Um, And I want to provide you context all the way back to when it really started, the genesis of everything, which from what I remember was all the way when I was in preschool. And uh, oddly enough, I was just told by my mom uh, about a month ago that I was dismissed uh, from two separate preschools. So not really? very many. Yes. Uh, I proudly can say that I don't know very many kids that were dismissed from two preschools. Uh, but on my side of things, it w- they were very traumatic experiences. I was aware enough as a child to know that I was not wanted uh, by people that I wanted to feel like I was special. I think every child goes to school hoping that they feel loved. Sorry, I get kind of choked up hoping that they feel loved. Um, but I went to, to school every day um, until sixth grade, just hoping I could make it through the day without getting in trouble or getting put in in-school suspension. I wasn't a, a bad person by any means, but I didn't fit into the traditional system of sitting in a chair, being quiet. Um, I look at my daughter today and she's wired so differently than me. She's the perfect student. And I, I'm so happy for her that she doesn't have to endure the same pain that I did day in and day out. I used to cry every Sunday. My friends still talk about it. Um, On Sundays, I used to cry before school because it was so painful to go knowing that I wasn't wanted. Um, And this is the last part of that story that I'll tell, and and it still affects me this day. And I, I want parents to hear this because sometimes they don't know what's going on with their kids at school. And um, maybe they're not in tune enough, but things such as this, I found out in fifth grade that my, my teacher at the time lost a lottery, um, 
And that is why she got me as a student. And she told me that. And it was one of the most hurtful moments of my life to know that you were that unwanted, that the the, stu- the teachers were fighting not to get you. And somebody drew the, the short straw. And so I say that not to not to say, uh, woe is me. I just want to open people's eyes that a lot is changing in the schools right now as well. And I, I challenge parents to really stay close to their kids uh, during that time, especially when they're so vulnerable. And so I know I just went off on a tangent right there, but all of that is very impactful as things started to, to escalate throughout my life. And I went and played college soccer. I went and played uh, overseas. And my life was not really uh, smooth um, at any given point, but I was becoming resilient over time. But I was always in a pretty fight or flight mode. And by the time I got into the workforce, all I knew was it was me against the world. And that's the way that I had um, formatted everything, at least. I truly believed that it, you know, there was nobody that had my back. Everybody was against me. It was the narrative. It was the reality that I had created for myself. And it was really self-preservation, to be honest. None of that was true. But because I had stated it to be true in my mind, it was true. And I know that sounds confusing, but what I mean by that is you have to have people around you that you trust and can tell you what's reality and what's not reality. And when you start to get sucked into your own little world, everything starts to get distorted very quickly. And I became very recluse. I am an introvert by nature. Um, I started working in a very, very aggressive, high intense, high intensity industry. And I started living almost a double life. Um, and when I say a double life, I think of it like I, sh- I was wearing a mask. And I don't know if you guys have seen the old movie, The Mask, but I always think about it visually like he would put on that mask, it would suck onto his face, and he would become a totally different person. And I got so good at living this double life, I didn't even know who I was anymore. And I started to fall in with groups that were very unhealthy for me. And all of these people were doing the same thing. We were all living in this mask. We were all putting on a show. We were all trying to join these country clubs and, you know, see who could be what. The reality was, is none of that mattered. And I had nobody really around me to tell me that at the time. And so things started to cascade very quickly. Um, And over the next, you know, five years, it got to the point that I had nothing but the mask. I didn't know who I was at all anymore. I was fully the person of, I am putting on the show. um, I am the show and welcome to the show. Like, I Mm -hmm. love me some me. uh, (laughs) And, you know, (laughs) like, it, it it was absurd. And, you know, looking back on it, my friends, we laugh about what we went through and, and, how I used to act or how we acted together. I, I literally acted like I was a celebrity everywhere I went. Really? Yes. And and my friends would say, you don't know who he is. And, <laughs> and I, and then I would say, you don't know me. And oh. <laughs> that we would play out this whole thing. And at first it was funny. And then it became like 
the standard. Yeah. Um, so again, very, very bizarre um, how you can start to reconstruct what is actually happening. How old were you at this time? So this was from about 22 to 27. Okay. So you were already married. I was already married. And my wife, <laughs> God bless her, was getting to kind of experience uh, this this person. Uh, everybody just called me P. Diddy. <laughs> uh, and yeah. <laughs> cute. Yeah. And, um, you know, God bless her. She, she stuck by me and, uh, fought it out. But, um, I, I, I ended up deciding to go and start my own business. Okay. And the pressure got real. You have payroll. Um, you have, uh, people that, uh, have invested a lot of money mm -hmm. to, to get you started. Um, you have board members and, I really was in over my ski tips. Um, okay. We were growing so fast that I didn't understand cash was king at that point. Let's just put it that way. Um, in that we had a lot more due than we were bringing in, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And obviously, if I could have stretched the time out and gotten some an infusion of cash, we could have done it. But we got so, anyway. That's kind of neither here nor there. The reality was is I knew that I was in deep deep trouble. Yeah. And something, I still remember I was in actually in Houston doing a, a very large event, uh, for investors. And one night something just wasn't right when I went to go lay down and m mine is a little different than other people's, but in my circumstance, this was the onset of, of bipolar. Okay. Um, and, and so anybody that knows, bipolar at a, at a at least fundamental level understands that uh, it's usually triggered by an immense amount of stress or um, loneliness or there's some kind of event occurring. Um, and it's usually dormant in people until a certain age. And so something that I always say to people is around that um, 20 to 26 be very cognizant if it's in your family, be very open if there is mental illness in a family, because that time, not to get into the science behind it, but that is when our brains are becoming extremely plastic again. Um, the synapses are firing at a whole different level, like when we were very young children. So it's this, um, it's this, this point, uh, I, I don't know, I don't necessarily have the right word, but it's an inflection point where you have to be very aware because your brain's going nuts already. I didn't realize that. About yeah. That and, age group. Yeah. So that's why you see so much suicide. You see so much uh, depression. You see so much um, anxiety because you have all of these synapses firing off and our brains are evolving into an adult at this one moment. And usually it's around that 23, 24 area. It's different from males and females, but it's just very important to be aware of that as a family. And and one of the things that my family did not do a good job of is saying that there was mental illness in the family prior to me. Um, so anyway, this triggered, I got sent to a, um, a state institution um, because I tried to get on a plane to Australia and was, for business. Uh, no, um, to go jump off of a cliff. Cause I thought I could fly. Um, so I went into a manic episode um, where when, when you fall into the manic part of being bipolar, um, uh, a good, uh, 
current person would be like a Kanye West where um, he, he has no um, ability to, to really see what his limitations are as a person. So the world's very distorted and it's different for every person. But for me, um, it, it really came down to everybody else is wrong. Nobody knows, like, you're all wrong. The world is wrong. I know you wish you knew mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so I was out to Australia because I was going to fly off of a cliff, right? That was my, what I was going to do. And and they stopped me, my wife, my parents. Um, and basically they detained me and put me in a state facility. State facility, I won't get in too much. Just know like to all you people out there, if you ever do have to put a loved one in a facility, please think before you put them in a state facility. If you have the means, put them in a private. Um, They will not be the same when they come out of a state facility. They are like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. It is very close to that. I could go into details of of some of the things that I saw and the people that I was with. Um, But over two weeks, that in itself was a life-changing experience. They... Pump me full of meds. They get me better. They send me on my way. And I think, oh, okay, I can go live my life now, right? They've got me all meded up and I'm taking eight pills a day. And- I was going to say, did you feel better taking those eight medications? That the, you started on eight medications while you were there? Yeah. So essentially what they did was they, they, they put you on a cocktail. And their main goal is to make you non-suicidal. Um, or a harm to anybody outside of the facility. And so the safest thing for them to do is overmed you. Um, and so that's what they did. They stuck me on eight medications. Um, it's pretty embarrassing mm. when you go to uh, your Randalls or your Tom Thumb and they're like, hey, Parker, my man. And they <laughs> hand you a sack of of medication and people are staring at you thinking, you know, what is that guy got? <laughs> but um, what I've come to find is that I thought it was just me for the longest time. It's actually a large subset of us who have these illnesses that have gone through the same thing. Hmm. Um, so it's it's a, a broken part of, of the system in general. I'm willing to bet your mom has plenty of stuff, right? This Mother's Day, you could give her the gift of a relaxing reset with a ticket for Mother's Day weekend, May 6th through 8th, 2022, at the beautiful Alasa Ranch in Hawkins, Texas just two hours east of Dallas. This Amazing Grace Retreat is not just for mothers. It's for ladies young and old that seek to grow in their spiritual walk with Jesus and spend time fellowshipping with other like-minded women. From horseback riding to zip lining or just relaxing by the pool, this will be a fun-filled and meaningful weekend that she will remember for a lifetime. And we can't forget the incredible lineup of inspirational speakers that she'll be sure to grow from. You can rest easy knowing that she will be pampered with chef-cooked meals, and s'mores by the campfire to boot. For all the details, please go to www.amazinggraceretreats.com to see our promo video and get registered today. But the risk to them is, hey, my job is to get this person better. My liability falls on if I let this person out into you know, the real world, right. are they going to do something harmful to themselves or others? So I understand on their side why they do that. Um, but, but then what happened over the next couple of years is very important to, to really get into, which is there was a failure on my part and there was a failure on the system's part. And anybody that's been put on medications, whether they're antidepressants or depressants or bipolar or split personality, there's a great deal of work that goes into 
the process of finding the right meds. Um, it's something that a lot of people don't talk about, but it's so frustrating, debilitating, ang- like the anger um, and all of the side effects that that go into this with people is also on top of this. And I don't know whether this is a good time to talk about it, but one of the things that happened for me was you have to keep up this really good cadence with not only your psychiatrist, but then you have a therapist and then maybe you have an advisor, which is like a coach. So you're seeing all of these, these uh, different practitioners or different providers. You're having to keep everyone up to date. The reality is, is they're never going to say you're good enough Mm -hmm. to get off the meds. Yeah. And so I kind of, got to a place where I was ready to get off of them. Okay. I don't want to take eight medications a day. So I no. kind of started, you know, playing a little bit myself and, um, Hey, you know, I made some bad decisions over the next couple of years and kind of maybe took myself off too many, or maybe I never was really in the right, um, space anyway, but another inflection point came in my life, um, and, with work and, I made a huge mistake and I knew it. And that's when the second moment came when that, I don't want to say it was always there. Bipolar will always be there, but that, that manic moment came back. Okay. And I had given up at that point. You know, we're talking about almost eight years of dealing with this. You, you become exhausted. Um, you're, you're mentally exhausted. You're physically exhausted. You're, if you have a spouse, if you have loved ones that have been trying to take care of you, yeah, everybody um, is very helping and wants to help. But at a certain point, they have lives to lead as well. Right. And they get exhausted from being put out um, as because they're humans. Um, and I, at this point, just put up my hands and I said, everybody would be, just be better off without me. Mm. Um, and I would be better off. I wanted out. Uh, I I couldn't continue on this path. It was exhausting. Just getting up was, and a a lot of people out there know that feeling, just getting up in itself felt like I was squatting 400 pounds. I mean, it's it's a bad analogy, but it was just, you know, it was just so difficult to do anything. And some people say, take it one day at a time. Yeah. I was taking it one second. No, second. I was like, okay, take one more step forward. I remember where we were living. And I was like, you just have to get down this hallway, right? Really? Yeah. It, it was the slowest. And I just thought I can't keep doing this. And so um, that's when I put the master plan in place. I'm totally distorted. You know, can we talk about being able to f- jump off roofs, fly? You know, when you're, in a, when you're in a spot of mania, reality is so distorted. I always say to people that are a little bit older, Donnie Darko, is not that far off. Uh, the movie Donnie Darko is not that far off from uh, the reality that I was living. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went out, did my due diligence on what I thought would be a good plan to exit this world. Um, I couldn't execute it on I-75 because I couldn't mm-hmm. time the cars correctly. But ultimately, I, I, I did not want my my death, my decision to impact anybody. So- I didn't want anybody to know about. It. I just yeah. wanted to disappear. Um, so I was thinking, well, what's the easiest way for me to 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 do this without impacting other people? So I didn't want to jump off of a building, you know. So I finally was like, well, Northwest Highway. People are always, you know, speeding there. And I decided one day that 
I was going to do it there. And it took, you know, five days of planning this. And my wife by then was starting to recognize, oh, hey, this guy's not all Something's there. not right. So anyway, I decided that I was going to to do this. And that moment was very difficult for me at this time because I was I was very cognizant of the decision I was making. Um, there were no drugs involved. There was no alcohol involved. It was 1030 on a Tuesday. And I was able to soberly talk myself into stepping in front of a truck. And I did it by doing everything like I do in my life that I don't want to do, which is um, you're a failure if you don't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, basically the way that I look at it now is looking back on it. We talked about this so much of my life unbeknownst to me has been driven by the devil. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no clue. I thought that voice the entire time was God. Really? I did. I, for, for the longest time looking back on it, I thought God was telling me to do all these things and I was miserable. It didn't matter how much money I made. It didn't matter how I looked in society. It didn't matter what I had. I was miserable because I was following the wrong voice the entire time. Mm. It was unbelievable. And it still is unbelievable to look back on and think it was the wolf in sheep's clothing. And I had no clue. Mm. And it isn't until after that moment that I recognized that I was so far removed from God that I couldn't hear anything. uh, He wasn't existent. I had successfully blocked out Mm. any voice of him coming in. And after that event, there was silence. There was real silence. After the event of- Trying to step in front of the truck. And what happened? And how did I get here? And it took, it wasn't, an immediate conversation. It actually took about a year for me to start really hearing him. After the accident? Yes. And then that happened. I I say the incident. incident. Well, after the incident, yeah. Um, But also want to say that what's interesting is, you know, we were in, or just to let people know, you know, you can, there's a lot of hurt people and people that are struggling just because they're in church doesn't mean everything's all great and fine because- you know, we were serving with you guys. You were in church. You were learning, growing, you know, is typically what people are doing and uh, or just the place that you think they're in. But just to know that people can be struggling or wearing that mask or no matter what, because like I had no idea as a friend that we saw on Sundays and served together, had no idea. Yeah. And that's that's tough looking back on because I had become so good at living a double life that I had really lost my ability to connect with people on a real level. Mm. That was also part of being able to connect with God. And that was where I was struggling. I think this is where it is hard for me because I think God works on his own time. Mm -hmm. And I think that he has a special, unique journey for everybody. Now I understand why I went through what I went through all of these years, um, all this pain, because now I'm getting an opportunity to truly impact people's lives. And we talk, when I was talking about how I couldn't hear God before, I don't feel like I'm necessarily 
having a conversation with God. I feel like the conversation is in me. Mm. Every moment, every second, I feel like he's in my bones. The decisions that I'm making now don't feel like my decisions. Mm. They feel like his decisions. It's, it's almost like there's this peace within me that I didn't know could be possible. And all I want to do in my life now is get people to the point that they can have this kind of relationship with God. I couldn't have dreamt that this was possible, especially coming from the other side of the spectrum, the evil that I was living in. Uh, to, to be over here now, it doesn't seem real. And I, on a weekly basis, just kind of, I know it sounds corny, but I look up and th I think, God, you had a plan and I couldn't have known mm. how great it was. And I, I wish that we could just get to the point where we can give people enough room to breathe so they, they can get back in touch with him as well. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we're so deep in the forest that, you know, we can't see through the trees. And I know for me, that was very much my life for the longest time. So I think that we have a real opportunity right now, but it's going to take a lot of work with the forces that are playing against us in society. Okay. Well, I would love for you to share um, the part about like what helped you the most, what helped you the most, and then tell us about what you've got in the plans uh, ahead of you to help yeah. others. Yeah, that's a wonderful question. So what helped me the most was first, the hardest thing for me, quite honestly, was to sit in silence. To, to sit back, turn off all the media, turn off the phones, turn off the TVs, turn off all the extra stuff and be with myself and not be afraid of what I was going to hear. That's a really, really hard thing to do. And I, I never want to understate that when I tell people to do it. It wasn't a one-time take for me by any means. It took a lot of tries, but it wasn't until I was able to drown out all of that outside noise that I was able to, to hear that God was speaking to me. Um, and it took time. That's the other thing is it's not this, this overnight snap, although the moment was during the middle of the night when God woke me up and I turned over to my wife and said, I'm quitting my career. Um, <laughs> but it took a long amount of time to sit there in that moment and and say, I'm listening and I'm open because what I'm doing is not working. Yeah, I'm just banging my head against the wall and it's not making me any happier. I can't outsmart the world. Let I'm going to let you take the reins. Yeah. Did you remember a time that you felt like you just absolutely surrendered rather than, you know, prayer is huge, but is that there a point that you surrendered? Do you felt like it was a change? I am a very, very stubborn person. Um, so I wouldn't say there was like a moment that I made this emphatic change. It was more of this is going to happen through work. Um, I am a grinder in life. And so I felt like I had to earn that relation, even though I didn't have to earn that relationship with God. I felt like in the beginning I had to, what I became, what I came to recognize was 
he was with me the entire time. He just needed me to, to be at peace, at rest. And I, I equate it to like those little dogs in a house that run around and like yip. Um, I was that little dog and I had to get tired enough to go, okay, like I surrender, you know, I'll listen now. And that was really what it felt more like for me. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us how you're, what's happening in your life now and how you're looking to help others. If you want to share a little bit about, I know it's not all ready, but. No, no, yeah. So ultimately my career has been mostly in digitizing marketplaces. Um, So when you think about uh, an Uber trying to put a driver and a person who needs a drive, uh, you know, putting those two people together or Airbnb, you put put a person who um, has a space open and a person who needs a space and connecting those two people, right? Well, I've been doing that for 15 odd years. And so I, I thought, well, why hasn't anybody done that in the behavioral health space? Well, they have, but the people that have done it are, to to be fair, not really true patients. They're not people that have really experienced the process. And that never works. Yes. It's it's hard for you to be empathetic uh, when you haven't been in the consumer's position. Uh, So ultimately, I just said, hey, Let's do what we've done with the Uber and Airbnb and other marketplaces that I've worked with. Let's just bring that in the behavioral health space. Now, I will tell you <laughs> that that's easier said than done. Uh, there are a lot of things that come up, such as bureaucracy, um, people not wanting the system to change. Sure. Um, so it's it's been... Uh, an exciting experience so far. We are making a lot of progress we're, right now. We are um, oversubscribed because we're still in beta. So it's it's wonderful that so many people want to be on board and they're having great experiences. Um, but in the next three months, we're going to open this up on a more uh, universal level. So ultimately, what we want people to be able to do is come to our platform be able to um, put in their information, kind of give a general consensus to how they're feeling. Um, a good analogy would be for Airbnb. I want a house with four, you know, rooms and what it's the same thing here. Hey, I'm feeling like this. You know, these are the things that are kind of going on. This is what I want my results to be. And we're just putting subject matter experts with those individuals. And we're able to triangulate what those relationships should look like and make them so it's as consumable as possible. And that even means that you can interview these people for free. There is no, there is no friction there. So if you have somebody that's going, Hey, I need to go talk to somebody. You could say, Hey, just send them to identify you. There's no risk. You can go have three or four real conversations with people to find somebody that's first a therapeutic fit, right? Mm -hmm. That you have to have that fit. And I know that as a, as a, as a, client, um, if it's not a fit, it's not going to work. Is it, but it's different from counseling. How is that different? Yeah. So I wouldn't necessarily say that it's any one particular, uh, subset, whether that's a psychiatrist, a therapist, a counselor, an advisor, it's actually all of the above. So not only is it in scope, 
um, of what we offer of, hey, I'm working on my marriage right now. So it'd be a marriage counselor or I'm, I'm working um, on changing my career over here. Or maybe I'm dealing with depression and there's PTSD involved. You might need to go to a therapist. So our job within the platform is to be able to triangulate what's going on um, through our artificial intelligence to be able to dictate who those people should be that would best help you get to that's your great. desired results. And there's one last thing that's very important to mention here, desired results. I am so tired of over the past, I've seen over a hundred professionals in my career to help me with my uh, mental health issues. I am so tired of walking into these offices going, well, am I, am I getting better? Or like, what are we doing here? And what are we working towards? Because there, there is no results involved in it. And it's right. so nebulous. And I want to take all of that out. And ultimately that's what we're trying to do is if you're coming in for something, I give you the analogy of if you want a sweater, a cashmere sweater, you should walk out with a cashmere sweater, right? The same thing here. If you're walking in and you're feeling anxiety and and you want to be able to perform better and, and have a better life at home or whatever sure. it is, you should walk out feeling like that. And it should be five stars no matter what. If if you're not feeling like that, then it's on our company. It's okay. not on you. It's like solutions, finally, or some answers yes. or something at the end of that. Well, you know, I know that we have a whole lot more to talk about. Um, and you're actually going to come back on the show and share, go a little bit deeper. We're going to actually not do a continuation, but have an actual separate show. Because we Parker's got a lot more to share about this subject and medications and just uh, outcome of things and maybe ADD. I don't know. We talked about some of that and those things. So we're going to definitely, we're going to have you back on, but I want to thank you for sharing uh, your story to be so vulnerable. I know that's hard to talk about. It's hard for me to sit here and look at you after all this time and listen, because uh, it's just, it's a tough thing, but thank you for sharing because I know it'll help a lot of people. Well, it's my pleasure. And I'm just honored to be here today, and I'm so proud of what you're doing and that I can be a part of it. So thank you very much. Thank you. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us again. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Erica C. Meyer Williamson. And please subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss any of the amazing stories that could open your eyes and seeing God in a whole new light and bring hope and healing to your life. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, please email me at ericaseemeyer at gmail.com and share a little of your story. If you have enjoyed these podcasts and would like to be one of our awesome supporters, please click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up for monthly support or a one-time donation. We thank you all for your generous support. And last but not least, we would be so honored if you would write a good review, subscribe to the show, and share this podcast on your social media. We'll see you back here next time on Amazing Grace Talk.